Welcome to the podcast and Marshall's birthday. <laughs> In and through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim, and, and it Ma- is not my birthday. And my name is Marshall, and it is my birthday. And you know what the beauty of putting that on a podcast is? What's that? It'll be three or four weeks before anyone hears this. <laughs> so anyone that goes, oh yeah, Marshall's birthday, you can be like, yeah, it was last month. <laughs> I'll get some like random happy birthday emails from people. Some <laughs> next month kind of things. Awesome. <laughs> I know it was your birthday, but we can't talk about it because we got a boatload. We do. So much stuff. Mm-hmm. There are, so there were times when I looked at the reading for this week and I was like, one chapter for the day? Yeah. There's a lot of that this week. Yeah, there was. That was grace. As if someone <laughs> knew that we were going to have to podcast through this. Yeah. Because th- some of those chapters could be their own. Oh, for sure. Episode. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Which means we got to get with it. We do. Forest. Forest. Um, for me, one of the things that uh, came up multiple times in the reading was Christ identifying how he is one with the Father. One with the Father in the sense of his authority. One with the Father in the sense of his mission and his goal and his purpose. Um, also in his power. Um, so yeah, so I really sense that. And, and essentially every time he does it, um, they try to kill him. Uh, yeah. so it's significant statements that he's making. Right. Yeah. So, so I kind of, I get a lot of that. I mean, there's again, like you said, there's so many different takes we could go with on this week's reading, but that's, that stood out to me. That's a good one. Here's mine. Okay. Conflict. Ooh. Conflict avoidance is not scriptural practice. Oh, yeah. So a lot of times we we hold up the virtue of tolerance, okay, and say, well, you know, but to be Christian means to be loving and kind and friendly and just shut your mouth, right? Not when it comes to truth. Hmm. In fact, just in case you miss it all the way through, Jesus says, "I'm going to spell it out once." He does a whole lot of teaching through parables. He does to say, figure it out. But at one point, he just says, let's stop with the figure it out for a moment. I'm just going to spell it. You think I came here for peace? Mm. No. I came bearing a sword, and I am going to create division. Why? Because the fallen nature of man is opposed to the righteousness and the will of God. And it takes a sword to divide that. And setting self aside to follow the righteousness of God is a battle mm. that one has to die. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. There's a lot of conflict. There is. There is. And we start the very first day's reading is Matthew 18, mm-hmm. which is kind of all about conflict. Yeah. It, it, and conflict resolution. And conflict resolution. A healthy, a healthy biblical model for conflict resolution. And it kind of starts with this conversation of who's the greatest— Right. Yeah. And and then we get Jesus' parable of the lost sheep. Hold on. I, I want okay. to talk about the who's the greatest moments. Okay. Because this is not the first no. nor the last time. No. We're gonna have the disciples talk about who's the greatest. I give the disciples a pass on this that other people don't. Okay. All right. 
I think maybe with the exception of uh, the wife of Zebedee, who comes in and she's like, hey, Jesus, my kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so she was she was the, the first, the matriarch for all of the t-ball moms or hockey moms or soccer moms <laughs> that would come along and say, why isn't my kid getting to play? Um, and so... It's a great analogy. <laughs> anyway, uh, when we normally have this question... It usually is right in conjunction with Jesus talking about his own death. Yeah. I think there might be something to them saying, when you're obviously the leader here, Mm -hmm. when you're gone, who's taking over? Yeah. Yeah. Who's next? Yeah. No, that's a good, that's, you know, that's a good. I uh, see it as as secession planning. Yeah. And that (laughs) Jesus still diverts it, doesn't change that, Mm -hmm. because what he's saying is, it's still me. <laughs> Just because I'm not here doesn't mean that I'm not the head of the church. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I give a bit of a pass here, whereas other people just want to be like, can you believe these guys? <laughs> He's saying that I'm going to die, and they're all just like, which one of us do you like most? I think there's a reason they're asking that. I think so. Organizational issues, trying to, trying to you know, have some foresight, perhaps. Sure. Yeah, and so then we get the, the parable of the lost sheep. Um Christ kind of emphasis on going after the individual, the one who's missing. Audio Adrenaline did a song that was sort of a B-side. Okay. Called, I think it's called 99. Okay. Brilliant. Mm, Nice. And then we get to the passage for which Matthew 18 is best known, Mm -hmm. which is the, if your brother sins against you, Mm -hmm. what do you do? How do you deal with people who have wronged you? And there's a very clear pattern there's 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 steps to follow right step number one is not just suck it up and bury it deep down and don't talk about it step one is to go and tell them privately privately and one-on-one one-on-one talk about it talk about it this step is the most ignored thing in scripture it has to be (laughs) definitely (laughs) definitely yeah yeah no, for sure. Go tell them. And, and if that doesn't work, that's when you bring other people in. One right. or two others, you bring them in and say, hey, look, this is wrong. This needs to be addressed. Let's mm-hmm. figure this out in a small group format. Right. Right. And if that doesn't work, then you take to the church. Right. Organizationally. Right. How are they going to deal with it? And if that doesn't work then you treat them as a Gentile. Right. So the point is this. The person who has sinned against you is in sin. Yes. And you are pointing out to them that they are in sin. And they don't want to hear it. So you bring someone else along who agrees and says, we can show you in Scripture where you're living in sin. Mm -hmm. You might also have that second person come along and say, Brother, I understand what you brought me here to say, mm-hmm. but you're wrong. Yeah, that's definitely and, and possible. And so what happens is if we can't come to a one-on-one agreement and no one is w- ready to repent, then someone else comes along to speak into the situation. Mm-hmm. And if in the smaller group, because I don't necessarily think that it has to be three, mm-hmm. it could be a couple of people. Sure. The idea is just a smaller group. Yeah, one or two, Jesus says. Sure. 
if that group can't decide who is in the wrong and no one's able to see their fault or repent of it, mm-hmm. whether it be one person who's wrong or both mm-hmm. who are participating in the wrong, mm-hmm. um, then we bring it to the church yeah, so that the collective of the church can look into the situation in the scripture and say, let's fix this sin problem. Mm-hmm. And if a person says the entire church has recognized that what I'm doing is sin, but I choose my sin. Treat them as if they are lost, mm-hmm. because they are. Yeah, They've chosen sin over righteousness. Yeah, And so this is what we use for church discipline. It's also for interpersonal conflict yeah. amongst Christians. Yeah. Yeah, and then that, that section is concluded by uh, two kind of things that get taken way out of context. Way. Uh, first one is the idea of binding and loosing. What is bound yes. on earth is bound in heaven, loosed on earth, loose in heaven. Again, that is connected to this discussion we have about conflict resolution, right? And then we have the, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am, am I among them, which is always used at like, you know, it's a prayer meeting. And nobody shows up. And nobody shows up. Oh, Snowstorm. But, but somebody, one person does. And so then the person who's leading it and the one person or a couple people are like, you know, it's okay that the attendance is down because we know where two or three are gathered. That's not really what it's talking about. Second most misquoted passage in scripture, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right cool. next to people who botch the... I can do all things. No, the love of money is the root of... Oh. Our money is the root of all evil. Yes. Or some people will do a better job and say the love of money is the root of all evil, but mm. the actual passage is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, mm. um, which really opens the door um, mm-hmm. in, into uh, a better understanding. But anyway, this one, yeah, that that idea that, and then Jesus is later going to, or earlier has taught them how to pray. Yep. And he says, go in your closet and do it in silence. Right. You got to take a buddy into the closet. <laughs> If you want Jesus to show up, <laughs> if you want if you want your prayers to be heard, you got to take a buddy into the closet. Yeah, two so, or two or more. Yeah, so please the the two or more thing don't don't misquote it. Yeah, the, the point of the point of it is to say no one person is going to run around saying this is what God says and I'm the definitive answer mm-hmm. to what God says. Yes, but as the church comes together in the name of Jesus, meaning under the authority and in the in cooperation with the teaching of Jesus, mm-hmm. we collectively, as the church, representing his truth, mm-hmm. have his authority to stand on. Yeah, We're not saying this is what we think is right and you have to listen to us. Mm-hmm. We're saying this is what God has called us to and you have to listen to him Yeah, to be a part of the church. Yep, It's a statement of the presence of his authority inside of his church which is also the statement of the binding and loosing. Yes. What he has bound will also be bound, in a, on, whether it be on earth or in heaven, mm-hmm. God's will will be done. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So from there, we get into a couple chapters of John. and Ooh, the we, unforgiving servant. Oh, yes. We don't, we don't have time for everything, yeah. but that unforgiving servant, Yeah. I, I would just say this. You choose to hold a grudge on someone, mm. and you're gonna make you're gonna make them pay. Mm. Oh, that they want my attention. They got to come to me, mm. right? I'm not going to them. 
Yeah. They won't for no, no forgiveness. Yeah. Whether it be seventy times seven or seventy seven times. Yeah. It can be translated either way. Sure. Both of them mean stop asking that question. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's essentially what Jesus is saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't ask that question. Yeah. Just forgive. <laughs> uh but anyone that wants to say those kinds of things, check yourself. Yeah. The righteous one. Mm has forgiven the unrighteous mm-hmm. in grace and mercy. Yeah. Who do you think you are? Exactly. Yeah. No, I think it's a good uh, heart check there. Yeah. And so then into Jesus' teaching and John uh, preaches on God's authority, how he's operating out of God's authority. Um, we have another healing on the Sabbath, which mm-hmm. it seems like is just Jesus' MO. And I don't know if it really was, but I think when he healed on the Sabbath— it drew negative attention. Right. And so there were worthy conversations right. that the gospel writers are like, okay, we're going to record this because this is a significant, you know, significant showdown between Jesus and, and the Pharisees. Yeah. He's not waiting till Saturday so he can poke the bear. Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of says like, look, you practice circumcision under the law of Moses on the Sabbath, right. but you're telling me that I can't, I can't heal. He's like, yeah, it, it's, it's, Jesus is saying, look, if if you are doing this thing in order to fulfill righteousness, that's exactly what I am doing. Sure. Right? So lay off. <laughs> and people are divided over Jesus' teaching, right? There, There's not—we're already seeing this division that you mm-hmm. said, right? People are—he's talking about streams of living water, you know, flowing out of the heart of the one who believes in him. And people are like, I don't know what I think about that. And uh, so we, we see these these rifts kind of continue to to grow. Um, then we get into the story of the woman caught in adultery. And you might notice in your Bible, there could very well be, might, in brackets, something that says, not found in the earlier manuscripts. Right. And so the reason for that is because that story is not found in some of the earlier manuscripts. Right. And there has been debate over whether or not this particular passage should be included or not. And it's a difficult question. But we're going to solve it once and for all. <laughs> Tim's going to solve it. In five I minutes. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, so what we got to... So here's what we need to do. We need to first understand a little bit of the history of how our Bible came to us. Sure. Uh, so so what happens is, at the end of the first century, the letters that have been written by the apostles, uh, these things don't happen so much in the Old Testament, because the Old Testament canon, as you learned on our intertestamental period mm-hmm. episode, mm-hmm. if you didn't, go back, uh, has already been canonized, solidified, it's a done deal. Yep. So... The letters, the Gospels, the the epistles, all of this that's taking place in the New Testament are being circulated amongst the church. And in the way these are circulated is that they are being handwritten and passed along. Yep. Um, sometimes people want to come against the authentic- authenticity of the Scripture and say, oh, there are these things we call textual variances. Mm-hmm. 90% of those are things like, should there or shouldn't there be a comma here? Yeah. 
liter that's that's not just sort of throwing it out to say oh most of no like a literal in the 90s of percentile oh yeah it's something about a comma or a word misspelled yep means nothing right doesn't change any meaningful doctrinal right. statement 100% of the time mm -hmm. it is not about something that is theologically conclusive correct right it's not about is there a trinity or no right <laughs> is there divinity of christ or no right right it's not like john 3:16 is only in one manuscript right that's not happening mm -hmm. right it is always this sort of a uh, very simple kind of thing. In the rarest of occasions, it ends up being something that is more significant in length. Mm. The end of Mark is a really interesting cultural uh, textual variant. Mm -hmm. uh, and here we have a t textual variant in that some have the story and some don't. Mm -hmm. Now here's what we here's the way that it is determined whether or not we should add these things or not. Should we keep it? Should we take it out? When the church is, is the Catholic church, the Roman Catholic church, early on, a lot of it goes to Byzantine. Right. And that is where the manu manuscripts are kept most faithfully and translated. And that is where most of our... Latin Bibles, the Vulgate, mm -hmm. come from, mm -hmm. uh, and our very early translations, Martin Luther's translation, um, and the early English translations, the Gutenberg Bible, yep. uh, the King James Bible, even up to 1611, mm -hmm. is coming from that group of texts. Now, there's an interesting thing taking place in those Byzantine texts all along. One of those things is the thing we call piastic expansion. Sometimes the Bible says Jesus, and this monk sitting at his desk cannot bring himself to call the Son of God by a first name. Right. So it's Lord Jesus. And so he says Lord Jesus. Right. And expands it, a piastic expansion. Mm. It is truth in that it is the Lord Jesus, but it's bad translation philosophy. Right. By our standard. Sure. Sometimes we see things written in in the margins that slowly kind of make their way into the text, like First John. Mm. There's a, a good example of that. Um, but what happened is, in the age of archaeology, so archaeology is not a practice until Napoleon. Right. And Napoleon comes along and decides he's going to conquer the, the north of Africa mm -hmm. and likes digging in the sand. And so they start archaeology as a practice. They find things like the Rosetta Stone, so they're able to translate some dead languages and make sense of some things. While they're digging around the sand, they find that preserved in this dry climate are some fantastic copies of Scripture hmm. that are older than anything we have in the Byzantine collection. Right. And they're the same with very few exceptions. Right. And this is one of those things. Yep. So the Alexandrian, the North of Africa collection, doesn't have this story. Mm -hmm. And so the question that is being asked is, was this story always there? 
or at some very early stage, was it such a part of church tradition and history mm-hmm. that it ended up making its way into, mm-hmm. right? right? And did it get copied along and preserved? Yeah. The truth is this. We'll never know. Yeah. Does that change the authority of Scripture? No, and, and the reason is there is nothing inside of this story mm-hmm. that teaches us anything contrary about the person of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And, and that it was brought in early means the story was circulating. Yeah. There, it, there were moments when people tried to inject things into Scripture and everyone went, no. That didn't happen. That's, no. not, that's not going down. Um, but this was received very early on. Um, was it originally written by John himself? Don't know. Yeah. The truth is, we'll never know. But it doesn't, there's, if you, if you have a view of God that is based entirely on this story, (laughs) then you should be careful of that. (laughs) And I, I know pastors that will say, in order to make sure I don't do that, I won't preach that because Mm -hmm. I don't want to make a point off of that story. My response to that is you're being overcautious. Yeah. Because if you have a point to make about that story that you can't make out of the rest of Scripture, mm. you've gone too far with something because there's not much here in this story. Right. And any anyone that wants to get into the whole like, well, this is what Jesus wrote in the sand, you've gone too far. Yeah, anyway. you definitely don't know. What he wrote <laughs> you're in the sand. you're talking about things nobody, you have no right to talk knows. about. Nobody knows. Uh, and so so would I preach it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I I. I'm perfectly comfortable. So one of the things that people get into is like, oh, well, you shouldn't do that because you're going to cause people to distrust their Bible. Mm. I think the opposite is true because the secular world wants to say, how do you know? And people have just accepted the Bible blindly mm-hmm. for 2,000 years. Mm. No one's looking into this stuff. And I would point to this and say, yes, we are, and we're being very honest about it. Yeah, yeah. And that there's a story in John— and the end of Mark that might raise some question marks, mm. but the rest of it doesn't, mm. shows that what we got is pretty solid. Yeah. And uh, and we're doing our work to make sure that we can historically verify everything. Yep. Um, there's a lot of work and scholarship that goes into making sure we can trust our biblical translations as the authoritative word of God. Mm-hmm. And we should be proud of that mm-hmm. and comforted by it. Mm-hmm. And thankful for it. And thankful for it, and not feel like we have to hide from it. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, everyone, you just got a mini lecture on <laughs> manuscript evidence. I love nerding out on how we got our Bible <laughs> and the different cool. English translations and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's pretty a cool. hobby. It's pretty cool. All right. So moving on from that story, um, let's get into more of Jesus' teaching, right? Jesus, this kind of connects to the the forest that I, I saw you know, Jesus talking about things to come, where I'm going, you cannot come, and and people are like, is he going to kill himself? And the Pharisees are like, where is he going? <laughs> like, they, so, are, they are so profoundly and openly clueless to this whole thing. <laughs> What's he talking about? Yeah, and uh, he says, uh, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Uh, and as he's saying things, many are believing in him. But but not everyone is, mm-hmm. right? And and so people are are rejecting that. And and as we've seen already, 
the Pharisees are kind of leaning on their ancestral heritage, right? They're saying, "Hey, we're sons of we're sons of Abraham. What are you telling us what to do? We got no, no, no. They they say we're the sons of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved." <laughs> <laughs> to which point, everyone who has read the Old Testament. So so presumably, if you're listening to this, you've been reading along with us. I would, or at yeah. least listening along with us, sure. unless this is your first time to pick us up. Welcome. <laughs> but it would almost have to be your first time to pick us up to not hear us talk about the enslavement of Israel. Yeah, multiple times. Right? Since we, they were Abraham's children, literally, <laughs> they've been in and out of slavery the whole time. What is this statement? Yeah. As he says it, they are occupied by the Roman government. Yeah. And not governing themselves. Yeah. You can make an argument that that doesn't constitute slavery, but you could just as easily make an argument the other way. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's a bizarre statement. Yeah. And Jesus <laughs> Jesus like, yeah, you're not children of Abraham. You're of your father the devil. <laughs> And he says, your father Abraham, he rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And then again, the Jews are like clueless. You're not even 50. How have you seen Abraham? Right. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was I am. Oh, that is huge. Mm -hmm. That is not a grammatical slip. Nope. That is not a textual variant. It's the same in all the yep. texts. That is very precise speaking. Yes. So we talked about how the Bible gets translated from the uh, Hebrew into the Greek mm -hmm. in the intertestamental period. Yep. When Moses is talking with God and he says, tell them I am, he uses the words ego eimi. Right. In the Greek, yeah. In the Greek. Yeah. That's what it's translated to yeah. in the Greek. Yeah. The Yahweh yeah. is ego me. Mm -hmm. And when Jesus says, before Abraham, just for a second, I lost the Greek for before Abraham was. Anyway, ego me. Yeah. When he drops that, mm -hmm. everyone knows what ego me means. Oh, yeah. That is the name of God. And the reason you know they know is because they immediately pick up stones to try and kill him. Right. And so <laughs> if <laughs> and so Arianist, those people who would say Jesus is not God, i.e. the Jehovah's Witness, really want to downplay this. Mm -hmm. But everyone around him, he says two words, ego me. Mm -hmm. And people are looking for rocks. Yeah. Like no trial. Yeah. No drag him outside of the city. We're going to do this right here with people watching. Yeah. In the temple. We're going to kill him. Right. <laughs> Yeah, they knew what he was saying. They knew. They knew. And yeah. it was a big deal. It was a very there is big no deal. glossing over this. Yeah. I, have, I have said things to people that would upset them. At no point have I ever said anything to anyone to make them look for a weapon. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Like, at least that I know of. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how big of a deal this is. Mm -hmm. So we can't play games with it. it can be like, those people would be like, well, Jesus never said he was God. Like, they're trying to pull that out of him the whole time. They're trying to get him to say something, right. and he drops it right here. Mm. And just because that's not how we would have said it doesn't mean that he didn't say it. Yeah. Because he did, and they understood it. Mm. Yeah, no, for sure. 
Um, yeah, I mean, Jesus is just, I mean, these, these chapters in John full of stuff, the conversation about Jesus being the good shepherd, I'm the good shepherd, mm. um, you know, really kind of meaningful change and, and, and really explaining to the people what his style of leadership kind of is, right? He's like, I, I'm the one who cares for you and the, the ones I care for know me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I have this authority from the father. Um, no one's taking it from me. I'm going to lay it down. Um, and because this is the charge that I've received from my father. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just really, really significant, um, foundational teaching on, on the relationship that we have, this idea of him being our shepherd. And this isn't brand new. D- David talked about this. The Lord is my shepherd. Right. Right. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm the shepherd. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that shepherd that David was talking about? Remember the Lord that was the shepherd? Yeah. I'm the Lord that is the shepherd, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Now we get to Luke 10, which is another very dense um, chapter. There's, uh, there's, there's my a lot iPad here. Just, my iPad just messed up on me. Hold on. Keep keep filling space. So so in Luke ten keep we see filling a, up the airspace. <laughs> we see a number of short episodes of things that are going on. So Jesus sends out seventy two of his disciples this time. Yes. So he sends seventy two of his disciples out into the countryside to the towns and villages and cities, like he had already done with the twelve previously. And they come back. Some of them very excited. Mm-hmm. about the things that they've seen done. Um, but there are some places that have refused to receive the good news of the gospel. And Jesus goes into this woe to the unrepentant cities. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, you know, if these things had been done in this historically evil pagan place, they would have repented. Right. Right? But destruction is coming on you because you have not received my good message. Right. And so and so in that we we have Jesus at one time prays, I thank you Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Mm. And this is where he gets into the talk about coming as a child, mm. to which people struggle with that, right? Like, what is what is it that a child has that an adult doesn't have mm. that I'm supposed to come with? And as an adult, how do I do that? And why is God praying a thank you that people with wisdom don't understand him? Yeah. <laughs> Does that mean we come foolishly? Hmm. Does that mean we come with ignorance? Hmm. The point is that we come with humility, mm-hmm. right? That we're able to come to him and say, I'm under you and I'm dependent upon you. Mm-hmm. I trust you. And I trust you. Mm-hmm. Lead me. Yeah. And not coming in saying, just tell me where to, where to do my thing and I'm going to go do it. Mm-hmm. And you're going to benefit from it, mm. right? God needs me on his team because look what I have to offer. Yeah. But to come to him as a dependent and say, mold me and teach me and provide for me mm. because I can't do it myself. Mm-hmm. Right? 
Yeah. We get the parable of the Good Samaritan, mm. which, I mean, everyone's probably heard that preached. You know what, you know what I like times. about the parable of the Good Samaritan? What's that? This isn't the only time someone's going to come in and say, what's the greatest of the law? Mm. Um, but this time, Jesus doesn't answer the guy's question. He just says, you know the answer. Mm-hmm. Why are you bothering me? Mm-hmm. Why aren't you bothering me with a question that everyone knows the answer to? <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's to be fair, it's not even a tricky question. Mm-hmm. Like any Jew would have been able to answer that sure. question. Sure. It's yeah. the Shema. Yeah. Um, but I love that Jesus is just like, you tell me the answer. Yeah. And the guy's like, yeah, and he nails it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, well, but who's and then my he neighbor? Justifies. But who's my neighbor? Right. Justifies. <laughs> but who? Yeah. But the I trick just, is who's my neighbor? Yeah. Yeah. And I, Jesus says, just let me, don't let me, be that way. Let me tell you a story. <laughs> don't be that way. Yeah. Uh, Everyone you cross paths with. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the last few days of reading are all in Luke. So we get uh, a lot of a lot of episodes in Luke. Um, the parable of the rich fool, mm. uh, which is, I think, always relevant it's relevant in our culture but it's it's relevant in it was in relevant in theirs as well uh the call not to be anxious kind of echoing some of the things that we've heard jesus say in the sermon on the mount to not be concerned with your uh, everyday needs yeah and the two are connected right yeah. the rich fool hoards mm-hmm. yeah because he believes he has to provide for himself yep and isn't trusting god mm-hmm. because that would make him anxious right so god says this is man's wisdom Hoard up what you got, because who knows when you're going to need it. Mm-hmm. But instead, you should trust me mm-hmm. and not be anxious. Yeah. Uh, we get some discussion about uh, the day of the Lord. Mm. Jesus explaining to his disciples what they need to do in order to be ready. They need to stay alert. They need to stay faithful. And that much is going to be required of those who are given much. I think the disciples were given much. People get ready. There's a train a coming. Yeah, seriously. You don't need no ticket. You just yeah. get on board. Mm-hmm. Jesus heals a woman on the Sabbath. Again, once again, I mean, the sa- it's the same thing. How many times does Jesus have to justify himself <laughs> healing someone on the Sabbath? It's just this like, common thing that just keeps going and jesus is like i i can do what i want right <laughs> like i am the lord of the sabbath um more parables about the kingdom of god the mustard seed and the leaven yeah i at the beginning of 13 repent or perish yeah right he's saying he's saying to them you can't look at someone's life and be like oh there's a lot of bad stuff happening they must be bad people mm. right He's saying, no, this is just what it is to live in a world that's condemned by sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stop worrying about what everyone else's circumstance is. Repent of your own situation mm-hmm. or you will perish in yeah. your sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so interesting thought. Okay. There's a parable of the barren fig tree. Mm. Later on, we're going to see Jesus curse a fig tree for not bearing fruit in a season when it's not supposed to be bearing fruit. And everyone asks the question, why would he do that? Mm-hmm. 
I wonder if it's tied back to this. Maybe that fig tree hasn't uh, borne fruit in three years. <laughs> Could be the case. Yeah, he 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 told it to him and then he showed it to him. Kind of gave it for the for the. Uh, audio learners and the visual learners just so everybody could get that message if you don't bear fruit everyone learns in their own way yeah yeah uh the parable of the feast which essentially i think can just be summed up with like just take take the low place Mm -hmm. don't 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 try to jockey for position don't try to like clamor for acknowledgement and get concerned over whether or not you're getting your fair share or or, are you talking to me or are you just saying in general because I'm feeling that? No, I, I'm talking to myself. Like it's <laughs> no, like acknowledgement, like seeking acknowledgement and seeking, you know, recognition and, and honor, um, mm-hmm. you know, from other people, you know, in this kind of hierarchical world we live in. Um, it's such a temptation. Yeah. The cost of discipleship. I mean, we talked about mm-hmm. that last episode mm-hmm. about how Jesus doesn't have time for people that are going to kind of follow him. Um, it's, it's a binary thing. You're in or you're out mm-hmm. and to be in means to be all in, uh, and echoed again here in Luke 14. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Highlights. Highlights for me. Um, I think for me, uh, a major highlight would be there's a man who was born blind. Oh, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> I got it first. Now you get two minutes to think of a new one. Um, the man, he was born blind and the people are asking him like who, who sinned, right? This tragic situation that this, this man can't see a very funny man. (laughs) He's an interesting guy (laughs) in the, the, yeah. In the following conversation. Yeah. He's, he's an interesting guy, but everyone's wondering who, who sinned? Like whose fault is it that this guy is blind? Jesus like, it's it's that's not what that's not the purpose of this. Mm-hmm. The purpose of this is so that God might be glorified in what I'm about to do. Right. And so what they're missing is John three seventeen. Mm-hmm. Christ came not into the world to condemn the world, mm-hmm. but that through him the world might be saved. Mm-hmm. The world is already condemned. Yeah. He is not being struck with a physical limitation because he was good and did something wrong or his parents. Right. That's just the state of our world. Mm-hmm. God is not in the corrective business. He's in the restorative business. Mm. And so that is what's being stated there. And I think we miss that mm. all the time. Well, and I think the what we see too is that there was there there was purpose to that suffering situation, mm-hmm. right? And and so I think we we can take a fresh look at the difficult circumstances of our life. When mm-hmm. I think of Paul, who's like got the thorn in his flesh, right? And he's pleading with God that it be removed. And God's like, no, like for my power is um, perfected in weakness, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea is like God is demonstrating his faithfulness um, even in the midst of our suffering and our challenges and our deficiencies, right? And so... What's the purpose of some difficult situation coming into your life? Well, it's ultimately that God would be glorified through it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's really hard in the midst of that, in the thick of those situations of of sickness and death and loss and struggle. Um, But if we can try to to remember that and lean on that, um, that can give us a measure of peace in the midst of it, that God is allowing this 
to work in this situation. He may not remove it. He may just bring us through it, um, but he will ultimately be glorified. Right. You're going to win this week. I'm going to choose the same passage and you still get the win (laughs) because yours is more righteous. Okay. (laughs) Mine is just that I love the ensuing conversation between this man, his parents, and the Pharisees. Yeah, it's pretty good. Because they they are on him about what what happened tell us what happened yeah and the guy's like i don't know what happened i'm sitting there and this guy comes up to me and he heals me and now i can see that's what i got for you yeah and they're like we don't believe you we're going to talk to your parents <laughs> and his parents are like so afraid of the the jewish leaders yeah that they're like mm, i don't know don't ask us he's old enough to speak for himself not even not even like son <laughs> this is fantastic that's my boy. You can see now. Praise be to God. They're like, yeah. mm, no, no, not touching it. Not touching it. And and the more that, like, after that point, mm-hmm. the Pharisees decide to really press him. And instead of being, like, defensive, instead of being, like, elusive, he just comes at him. He does. Like, he comes at him hard. He does. And he's like, why do you want to know his name? Are you also trying to sign up? <laughs> and they... They say all kinds of awful things to him. They do. And his response, and one of those being, we follow Moses. We don't even know who this guy is or where he came from. And he's like, that's peculiar because he's quite obviously from God. Yeah. Because even I know enough about the law and the prophets to know that no one can do these things unless they're from God Mm -hmm. and no one has ever done them before. Mm -hmm. So he is obviously more from God than anyone ever has been before. And you didn't see that? (laughs) <laughs> to which the pharisees say you're right we're sorry <laughs> no not at all no no they just they just double down yeah. and he plays it off like a boss yeah well the crazy thing too i mean the significant thing like being blind from birth i don't think they had braille at that point yeah the, he would just have to have heard he would just have to have heard the law and the prophets read by them yeah Right. They were the ones who had studied it from a young age. He would never have had that luxury as right. being, being born blind. He would have been considered cursed. And so for him to school them like that, it's great. Yeah. And mom and dad throwing him under the bus. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have buses, but still under the chariot. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with Gospel Coalition of Canada. It's produced by Alex Walker. Talk to you next time. See you later. <laughs>